0: As you may know, right after Easter, uh, we have started a, a new sermon series on hope using the, the first uh, letter uh, of Peter uh, in the New Testament. And today's uh, scripture lesson uh, is uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 25. For it is a credit to you, if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. For he committed no sin and no no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd And guardian of your souls. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Pray with me for a moment. Almighty God, you have brought all of us here, whether physically or joined uh, digitally, that you have brought all of us, calling us by our names for you are our good shepherd. As we listen and as we reflect on today's message, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So almost 20 years ago, Less than 20 years ago, my very first summer job as a teen was being a busboy at a local restaurant uh, that no longer exists. It was a sizable restaurant located in a busy business district. And before I even signed any paperwork, uh, the manager of the restaurant made me work for 12 hours straight from opening to closing with just a short break uh, for lunch. His explanation was that it was to test and see if I could survive and endure the harsh environment of the food service industry. And so that an official first day as a busboy is still fresh in my memory. I remember at one point, I had to run to the bathroom to wipe off my nosebleed. And I remember to this day looking intently to the mirror, asking myself, should I just go home? Should I just run away? But simply, I I did not want to feel like a loser, uh, which means that uh, the manager's gaslighting worked. So I I stayed and finished the day in Agni. And after that day, I started to work as their official busboy. And after a month, I was promoted to be a waiter. And while working there, uh, each and every day, I noticed something was very fishy with how the manager ran the business. I received a minimum wage for tip employees, which was just about $2 something uh, back then. And they used this tip pooling system which is a practice where all servers put their tips into a pool to be divided amongst all staff at the end of each day. And and this one day, after a full day of work, again, from opening to closing, I received this one envelope with just one dollar. That's when all my closest friends told me to quit, which they still talk about to this day. But for some, whatever reason, I continued to work, and each day, I suffered. By the time I had to go back to school, an incident happened where the manager used me as a scapegoat to appease one customer's ridiculous behavior. That's when I finally said to myself, enough is enough. And I walked away, telling myself I would never return to this restaurant ever again. Funnily enough, a couple of years later, I had to return because my parents wanted to use a free gift card they received. <laughs> Sitting there as a customer, customer eating their mediocre food, I saw a few familiar faces, including this one guy who started working there around the same time as I did. He was an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador. And we quickly became close because we are close in age. And I remembered his story of how he was working to provide for his family back in El Salvador. When I was promoted to be a waiter, he remained busboy. And after all the years I was gone, he continued working there as a busboy while managing to keep the same smile. All I could think of was how much he likely suffered under the manager's abuse and exploitation all these years, verbally, physically, and financially. Yet he remained in the same workplace. Because of what? Unlike me, he had and he knew no other options. As an undocumented immigrant who had to keep a low profile I'm sure the idea of starting a labor strike or filing a lawsuit was never an option. And I'm sure the option of quitting was also not the most ideal path since his work was directly related to his family's livelihood. I imagine that the only option he had was to endure. The reason why I'm sharing this story is to give a better understanding of who Peter is writing his letter to the addressees of first Peter are Christians who resided in Asia Minor as the exiles of the dispersion or resident aliens. These were people not only living as strangers in a strange land, but also participating in the strange agnostic religion of Christianity in the dominant pagan religious culture of the Roman Empire. So thus these Christians that Peter is writing to were second class citizens who faced constant hostility and the possibility of expulsion, deportation, always loomed over their heads. And this is to say that Peter is writing his letter to those whose backs were against the wall those who really had no other option in the face of injustice and hostility, but to endure because their livelihoods were dependent on their pagan superiors. Perhaps you may know of first Peter that you may you may be familiar with first Peter because of some of its difficult or controversial passages. In the same chapter that we read, Peter writes in verses 13 and 14 that they must accept the authority of every human institution, including the pagan ones. Peter writes in verse 17, which is really the the true beginning of today's passage, today's reading, he writes that how household servants or slaves must accept the authority of their masters with all respect whether they are gentle or harsh. And right after today's reading, in the beginning of chapter 3, Peter writes again that wives must accept the authority of their husbands in the same way household servants to their masters. But when we consider the historical context, Peter is simply writing for the main demographics of his addressees, As early church Memberships were dominated by household servants and non-slave owners and the Christian wives of pagan husbands. In essence, first Peter, the letter that we read today is more pastoral than doctrinal. Peter was writing not to preach at his fellow Christians, but to comfort them and to give them hope to those Who had no other option but to endure. If you, again, as you, as we read to this passage, this act of endure, the act to endure is almost given. And Peter is telling them to endure in righteousness, righteousness rather than in sin. This act of, act to endure is almost given and the only option for these Christians. As I reflect on today's reading, I can almost feel the sense of passionate pleading from the author that Peter is begging his fellow Christians to not give up despite how harsh their circumstances were. They ought to endure and they ought to endure in righteousness, despite how painful their unjust sufferings were, because because they have received an example from Christ the suffering servant, who committed no sin, yet suffered and died for their sake, so that they may live. Thus, the risen Christ is the living hope to those whose backs are against the wall. And Jesus' peaceful, nonviolent, non-retaliating, and enduring love is their only example. As Peter writes in today's reading, saying, when Jesus was abused, he did not return abuse, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he, he but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the bo- in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I assume Peter was writing his letter with an expectation of Jesus's return within his lifetime. Does this plea to endure until the moment of Jesus's return kind of makes sense and seems more reasonable and hopeful to, especially to the first recipients of this letter who share the same expectation. But the same plea the same plea to endure can sound like a meaningless cheer or even a mockery to those who have been suffering from injustice for far too long. Pastor Spencer really left me a really difficult passage. (laughs) It's It's a really difficult one because I believe today's us, today's Christians in the U.S. right now, we do not fully know what it is like to have no options but to endure. We are blessed with many options, so much so that we are bombarded with many choices, and we suffer from decision paralysis. Churches are no longer a safe haven for the weak and the oppressed, who had no option but to endure in their service to their pagan superiors. But rather, churches have become an institution for the strong and the privileged, who entertain various options on how they can best serve their pagan neighbors. But at the same time, I do not want to diminish our present sufferings. Although we do not know what it is like to have no other option but to endure, We as a society still share the same feeling of what it's like to have our backs against the wall. It is this feeling of being stuck, being helpless, and being hopeless. Especially in the face of injustice, evil, and oppression. So much so that we witness and we hear about destructive behaviors all around us. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman describes fear, deception and hatred as the three hounds of hell that motivate people into destructive behavior against self and others. And this is what I see as I reflect on today's world, hearing about violence against self through suicides or addictions. And hearing about violence against others in schools, in workplaces, and in neighbors' front yards, Thurman argues that those whose backs are against the wall often use each hound—fear, deception, or hatred—as a tool for surviving, per- as a tool for surviving personal and systemic oppression. But he says habitually adopting any one hound of hell ultimately takes its toll on the humanity of the oppressed, further stealing from their dignity and their ability to, re- to reimagine the world and work for genuine social transformation. Thus Thurman pleads in his book, in a similar fashion Peter does in his letter, that instead of being pursued by the three hounds of hell, those whose backs are against the wall should let Jesus's teaching of love be their ruling ethos, the kind of teaching that teaches us to love even our enemies, the kind of teaching that was exemplified in the life of a poor Palestinian Jew living under the threat of the Roman Empire. Thurman explains that by his life circumstances, that Jesus's life circumstances He had all the reasons to adopt fear, deception, or hatred as a means to survival. But Jesus, to his disciples and followers, and ultimately to the rest of the world, Jesus showed a different path of survival in a hostile world, which was a way of peaceful, nonviolent, non-retaliating, and enduring love. Today's reading from 1 Peter gives reasons to love to those who had no other option but to endure. For the resurrection of Jesus proves that it is love, it is love incarnate, it is love divine, that who ultimately wins. And it is Jesus' dying for their sins that makes it possible for them to live out and following Jesus' footsteps, to walk in the path of righteousness according to God's will, despite the constant hostility and injustice. At the same time, today's reading leaves many questions to those of us who have many options, who enjoy privileges, and who share responsibilities for the conditions of our society. What does it look like for us to identify with Christ, the suffering servant in today's world? What does it look like for us to say Christ is risen in the world where there is not so much hope? What does it mean for us to resist evil, injustice and oppression? What does it look like for us to share Easter hope in a world where the three hounds of hell rampage? What does it look like for us to live out Jesus's way of peaceful, nonviolent, non-retaliating, and enduring love each and every day in our lives? What does it look like? I pray that we may continually identify with Christ, wherever we are and wherever we go, not only in His suffering, but also in His promise of restoration and justice. So much so that the plea to endure is no longer a mockery to the oppressed, but a call to solidarity with Jesus, the suffering servant, the shepherd, and the guardian of our souls. Let us pray together. Gentle shepherd, you guide us in right path. You lead us in the ways of righteousness, but we have allowed our fear, deception, and hatred to direct our path. We have overreacted, we have taken more than our share, and we have despised others that seem to have it all. Forgive us, God, for not following your ways. Forgive us for not remembering that we are your sheep and you are our shepherd who suffered and died for our sake to open us the way of radical love. Forgive us when we have not listened to your voice and instead have acted in the ways of the world. So we ask you, we plead to you, to guide us back to your path, to loving you and loving our neighbors and to and loving your creation. Help us to unclench our fist and lend out our hands in hope and healing, forgiveness and love and restoration and justice. In the name of Christ, our shepherd, we pray. Amen.